Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I have been reading a new historical book recently. It was just released in the last few months. It is called Unfinished Empire and outlines the author's research into the beginnings, growth and outcomes of the British Empire from the 1600s through more modern history. I am enjoying it very much. As a Bahamian, I lived through the final phase of this empire as it related to and impacted the Bahamas. We were really on the outer fringes of this vast empire in many respects. Now we're part of the Commonwealth of Nations. The big players back then, though, were India, Africa, China, Australia, New Zealand, Jamaica, Malaysia, and so on. We were an all but insignificant player. But reading about how all this got started, and learning specifics about the many privations and also the great opportunities that these early settlers, land grabbers, and colonial masters experienced were indeed fascinating. There were, I want to report to you, a fair amount of pages that dealt with one of the several significant perspectives that became an integral part of British imperial accession. That perspective was the sending out of missionaries to these new lands and developing foreign acquisitions. It was a fascinating exposition that described some of the assumed motivations for wanting to send missionaries, as well as why people themselves would feel like going to these distant, sometimes savage, usually unsafe areas of the world back then. Names like David Livingston, William Cowper, and other names that you would recognize leapt off the pages as I read of their journeys and achievements how these brave men and women coped with the privations and disease, strange customs, unknown languages, and so many other crucial obstacles to safety and comfort I'll never explain or be able to understand. But this book, in a sense, made it come alive, all in the context, of course, of Britain's empire-building episodes, which made it possible for them to go in the first place. Interestingly enough, and I don't know if the author has the same crucial beliefs that I have regarding God and his son, my Savior, the Lord Jesus, but I read the account with a little reservation. If he does not share, the author I mean, if he does not share the same beliefs that I do, then his perspective may be warped, different from mine, in several key areas. The discussion, for example, about the building of local schools and hospitals, the staffing with other missionaries, tended, in my opinion, to be slanted too much to the physical and the secular, not speaking to the spiritual needs of the local indigenous people sufficiently. But I don't want to be an armchair quarterback. The book was crammed with many stories and descriptions that I found thoroughly interesting. How British missionaries helped to change our world for the better came through this book clearly. 
even if there were errors and mistakes and backtracking necessary from time to time. Some revisionist thinkers have disputed the real value of these missionary efforts to the local land and its people. They suggest that it may have been best to have never interfered with the local way of doing things, the local dialects and the local religions at all. The world may have been a better place with less animosity and anger, they say. These are blinded by the god of this world, I fear. They can't or won't see the forest for the trees. If it doesn't fit their narrow perspective, then they discard it and apply the label of irrelevant. Jesus said that we must go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of what? All nations. In Revelation, we read of the innumerable hosts from every nation and people giving worship to the Lord of Lords. All these will spend eternity in heaven with their God because, in countless situations, a British missionary chose a life of privation and hardship to go into a new world and preach the gospel of God's saving grace. We owe them a lot, and I will tell them one day when we meet in heaven. And now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning, and greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, was constrained by the Holy Spirit to write his 24-verse epistle to warn believers about false teachers and apostates who turn away from the truth of God's Word, which he defines as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, of course, he did not himself divide his letter into verses. This was done many years after the writing by Bible scholars to facilitate our reading and studying of the Scriptures. However, out of the 24 verses that make up the epistle, Jude uses only four of them to tell us specifically what we are to do to contend for the faith in the midst of present-day apostasy and how to deal with false teachers. Most of his concentration was upon his description of the character and activities of those whom he calls godless men who creep into churches through deceit and trickery to lead God's people astray, both by what they say or teach and by how they live. In verse 20 of his epistle, he tells us that we are to do two things. One, build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And two, pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this simply means, as we have seen, that we are to study the Word of God and pray in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we ended our last study by looking at Romans 8, where Paul describes and explains what it means to pray in the Spirit. In verse 26 of that chapter, he says that the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that words cannot express. Please listen as I read that passage for you, because I think it's very important for us. I'll read from verse 22 for the context. Quote, this is Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so, all told in this passage, Romans 8, Paul tells us that the creation groans. That's verse 22. He tells us that the believer groans. That's verse 24. But he also says in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit groans. These are all expressions of deep agitation and intense spiritual emotions. They reflect the very core and essence of our innermost needs and desires. Now, it is very careful for us to understand that verse 26 does not refer to praying in another language or praying in tongues, as some would have us to believe. But rather, we must notice carefully, it is the Spirit who does the groaning, not the believer. And notice, it is a groan that words cannot express, not even in words in another language. This is an activity of the Spirit of God deep within the believer and on behalf of the believer. The reason and result of this spiritual activity in the inner man is given in verse 27, and I quote it, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. End of quote. And so God searches our hearts to discover our deepest needs and longings because we are unable to adequately or correctly express them in words ourselves. And as he does so, that is, as the Spirit of God searches our hearts, God himself enters that situation, and he discovers the silent, unuttered, and unutterable groanings within our inner being, placed there by the Holy Spirit who resides within the true believer. These are the intercessions of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and who knows our hearts and our minds. And the Father then is able to understand these inner groaning intercessions of the Spirit. And he, my friends, always responds to them because they are always in keeping with the will of God. And so, the Holy Spirit turns the believer's deepest innermost thoughts and desires and prayers that are in keeping with the will of God. He then converts or transforms these prayers into divine groanings and places them in our hearts so that the search of our hearts, God the Father himself, will discover them as we pray. That is what is meant by praying in the Spirit. It means to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit when we come before the throne of grace that we will allow him to control our entire being our heart, our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, our words. My friends, this is the only way that he'll be able to convert our true desires into prayers that are heard, understood, and answered by the Father, because the contents of our prayers, are his prayers, are always in keeping with his will. Now, this kind of praying takes time and concentration. We need, then, to have time to wait in his presence time to allow the Spirit of God to truly take control of our mind, our hearts, and our feelings. But do we really do this when we pray? Do we wait patiently before the Lord 
when we have our prayer meetings and so on? Are our prayer meetings conducive to praying in the Spirit? We must do this, my friends, if we are to be able to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But then Jude goes on to verse 21 in his epistle to tell us something else we are to do if we are going to be able to effectively contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. This is what he says, and I now quote verse 21 of the epistle of Jude. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. End of quote. Now, actually, there is only one imperative or command in verses 20 and 21. And that command or that imperative is this. Keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The other verbs and participles here that describe actions or activity that define how we do this, how we keep ourselves in the love of God. And he tells us the three ways of doing it. First, by building up ourselves in the faith, and that is through a consistent, consecutive, and systematic study of the Word of God. And secondly, through spirit-filled praying. And then finally, through a conscious waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, my friends, are the activities that are necessary if we are going to remain in the place of God's blessing and so be able to contend effectively for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I want you to be careful to understand this. This has nothing to do with eternal security or the possible loss of one's salvation for disobedience. Jude is talking about our service or ministry of contending for the faith. That is his focus here. Jude says we are to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The King James Version translated that in this fashion, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thought is that we are to be anxiously anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing in Titus 2.13 when he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says the same thing to the Thessalonians in Second Thessalonians 3 verse 5, where he says, The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Jesus Christ. Now, why is it important for Christians to always be living with the expectancy of the return of Jesus Christ in mind? John answers that question for us in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen as I read from that passage. Quote, Dear friend, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure, end of quote. And so the daily conscious awareness of the any moment return of Jesus Christ motivates us to living a holy life. He could come today, my friends. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ comes back to take or to catch his bride, the church, away. Nothing at all. In other words, the last thing we do this morning could be the last thing we will ever do on this earth. The next event for us as believers 
could be our standing before the Bema, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Are you rapture ready? And so Jude is telling us that we must learn to live today in the light of that day. We must live in time with eternity in view. And so, to summarize these two verses then, Jude says, first, study the Word of God. Second, pray in the Spirit. And third, live with the daily consciousness of the soon return of Jesus Christ. This will result in our remaining in the love of God, that is, in the place of spiritual blessing and power, which is essential for contending for the faith. Apart from this, my friends, we will undoubtedly fall prey to the false teachers and apostates that now pervade our local churches, and will do so even more as the return of Jesus Christ draws nearer. But Jude goes on, and he gives three other commands or imperatives in verses 22 and 23 of his epistle. Listen as I read these verses. Quote, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. End of quote. My friends, this is a strong call to the Christian and the local church to be actively and aggressively involved in reaching out to others to win them to Jesus Christ. In the context of the epistle of Jude, this is a means of contending for the faith by counteracting the activities of false teachers and apostates who infiltrate the local church. Each of these commands relate to a different category of individuals and so we must reach out to touch them for Christ and with the gospel in these last days. First, Jude says, there is the sinning Christian, those who doubt, those who are weak and who are wavering in the faith. Now, as I mentioned in an earlier message, these are the ones most acceptable to false teaching. And in fact, these are the ones, these immature believers, who are the usual target of religious opportunists and con men. Like wild, beastly predators, they go after the spiritually weak, those who are wavering between truth and error because they are not adequately taught in the Word of God. Jude says we are to be merciful to them. That is, we are to reach out to them with love and compassion and be willing to spend time with them in teaching them the Word of God to listen to their questions, to their doubts, and give them answers from the Word of God. But with others, Jude says, we are to snatch them from the fire in order to save them. Now, I believe Jude must have the story of Lot's family in mind here. You remember, they had to be literally snatched from the fiery judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here then, Jude is referring to what we might call hardened sinners, those who are, as it were, on the brink of hell. In this case, we are to be firm and direct, Compassionate and loving, yes, but firm and uncompromising nonetheless. Now, these would include those who have already fallen prey to the false teachers and probably even regard those wolves in sheep clothing as their spiritual fathers and mentors and accept their evil doctrine as the true word of God. We are to seek to win them back to Christ and the truth as revealed in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We should be loving, but we have to be firm at the same time. Now, the final group Jude mentions 
are the most dangerous to the soul-winning Christian. And so Jude says to these, we are to show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, these would include the false teachers and apostates themselves. Jude says, nonetheless, reach out to them with the gospel, but be careful you do not become contaminated with the evil doctrine yourself. Preach the word of God to them and do it in a strong and aggressive manner. Don't be contaminated with the sins of the sinner, Jude says, that you're trying to win. This means, then, that to reach these kinds of individuals, we must be mature in the faith. We must know how to handle the word of God so as to be able to discern between good and evil, truth and error. Not every believer, my friend, is able to confront false teachers and apostates. So be wise. If you know that you are not well grounded in the word, don't open your doors to those whom you know deny the deity of Christ, but still yet profess to be Christian. Such a thing is impossible. However, if you do know the word and are confident of your dependence upon the Holy Spirit to help you to use the sword of the Spirit properly, then go out and aggressively use that word, that sword, to win these poor souls to Jesus Christ. Use the faith once for all delivered to the saints to deliver them and to protect you from their erroneous doctrine. Who are we to depend upon as we go about this vital but spiritually dangerous task, Jude tells us very clearly in the magnificent doxology with which he closes his epistle. Please listen to these beautiful words in verses 24 and 25. I quote, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And I say also, Amen. Friends, God is the one who is able to keep us from falling prey to the godless man Jude warns us about, and to keep us from being contaminated by the evil teachings, so that we might be able to stand before him blameless and without fault. Jude's doxology, then, is a clarion call to us to worship our sovereign and glorious God through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the effulgence of his glory. And so he is God also, God incarnate. And so, in closing this study of Jude, let me ask you a question. Do you worship Jesus as God, the God that he truly is, holy God, a righteous God, a just God, not just a friend that you can keep company with on an ordinary basis, but someone that you worship and adore and cherish? Now, if you don't, I invite you this morning to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your only way to fellowship with the triune God. Jesus died and rose again for you. He experienced the penalty of sin in your place. And so trust him for your salvation today. Now, if you are already a Christian, how well do you know the Word of God? How much do you study it? How much and how much do you pray? Do you pray in the power of the Spirit? Are you living with the soon return of Jesus Christ in mind? Are you seeking in specific ways to win people to Jesus Christ? My friends, these are the things that Jude says we must do 
if we are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I close then by asking the question that was on Jude's heart when the Holy Spirit motivated him to write his epistle. Are you contending earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints? As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every listening moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling in